she picked up the knife on the kitchen table. And then she realised someone had got there first, crawling along and camouflaged against the steel, was a tiny round object, almost a circle, with the same metallic colour as the blade. Seeing it, she breathed a sigh of relief. Her life was not going to plan, but now, at last, she had found the solution. You'll be perfect for my garden, she whispered. You'll get rid of all the aphids. Welcome to episode 34 of Hidden Wings and Bloodlust. I'm your host, Rachel. I hope everyone's having a good time and enjoying the slightly more improved weather recently. And I was going to say, I'm probably going to have a break for maybe one or two weeks after this episode from the podcast. So I thought I'd get a episode out now. But in the meantime, coming quite soon is my guest appearance on the UK Wildlife Podcast for their 50th episode, along with, I think, eight other guests from the nature podcasting world, such as the Bearded Tits podcast, the Casual Birder podcast, Into the the Wild with Ryan Dalton, the Wildlife Garden podcast, the For What It's Earth podcast, and, um, yeah, um, I think that might be it, or I think there might be, there might have been one other, one other person, I can't remember. And there was eight guests, and it was complete chaos, but a lot of fun. And by the time you listen to this episode, it might already be out. But it was a lot of fun to record this episode, and I'll be sure to post a link when it comes out. So I noticed I've had quite a few new listeners recently. Last month was double the number of listeners I had in March. And I want to say thank you so much to everyone for listening to this little Ladybird podcast. So I kind of thought I'd introduce myself again for anyone new that sort of started to listen recently. I'm Rachel and I live in Buckinghamshire in the UK and my real job is in marketing. But my kind of real passion is wildlife and nature and I've been a ladybird enthusiast pretty much since I was a kid and if you want to help the podcast in any way you can write me a review on Facebook or on your podcast app and I'd really appreciate it. So I've had a few requests for today's ladybird. A lot of people have said that they like it or that it's their favourite ladybird and it's quite an interesting little character. And it's got an interesting story behind it. And it is the steel blue ladybird, Halmus Chalybeus. Or Chalybeus, or however you say it. So the Latin name has got quite an interesting meaning behind it. 
Halbus was, in Greek mythology, the son of Sisyphus. Sisyphus was a figure who was punished by Hades for cheating death twice. And his punishment was that he was made to roll a, a boulder up a hill, but it would roll down every time he got to the top. So that's why it's sort of an impossible task. It's sometimes referred to as being a Sisyphusian task, because Sisyphus was this guy who tried to roll a boulder up a hill and he couldn't every time. Every time it just rolled back down and he had a pretty miserable time after that. Um, Halmus, although it's usually spelled Almus, was a Corinthian prince who, according to legend, received a small tract of land from King Esocles in Orchomenus, and a village was named after him called Almodes. Halmus had two daughters, Chrysi and Chrysogenia. Chrysogenia was the consort of Poseidon, the Greek god of the sea, while Chrysi was the consort of Ares, who was a sort of Greek god of war. And I'm not sure what consort means in this context. I think it probably meant that it was his girlfriend or or some sort of relationship like that. So, keeping with this classical theme, Chalybeus, or Calybeus, or whatever, means the colour of tempered steel. And this is quite an apt description of the ladybird. According to the website, Ladybirds of Australia, the steel blue ladybird is between 3.2 and 4.1 millimetres long. It's got a very domed, or convex, body, as they say, and a metallic iridescent blue colour to the elytra. And while the female is generally the same colour all over, the male has got a yellowish head, with the sides of the pronotum also yellowish or orange. And usually the legs are brown, but on the male, the upper part, so sort of its thigh, of the front pair of legs are yellowy colour rather than being brown. The ladybird varies substantially in colour, being, quote, dark bluish to almost green. The underside of the ladybird is yellowish or yellowish brown, like the legs and the antenna. And it's also part of the Chilocoronae subfamily. So like many such ladybirds, the antennae are very short. So if you think about other ladybirds in that grouping, it will resemble a kidney spot ladybird, which has been covered in one of the previous episodes. I think it was episode episode 13 is the uh, episode about the kidney spot. And it also kind of resembles a pine ladybird as well in its shape. And if you're in America, you can think of a twice-stabbed ladybug, which is very similar to the kidney spot. There's sort of the same shape and size as that. So there's quite a sort of um, prominent rim around the edge of the ladybird's elytra, like the pine ladybird does. And the elytra is usually very smooth, although there are punctures seen sort of only microscopically on the surface of its uh, or its wing cases. And according to the website brisbaneinsects.com, viewed from the top, the ladybird looks like a complete circle. So, like most ladybirds, the female steel blue ladybird lays yellow spindle-shaped eggs from which the larvae hatch out. The larva is grey, or beige in colour, and has got a lot of dark spikes for self-defence. It's also got dark grey markings along its abdomen, and pointed fleshy extensions with hairs on the end, 
to deter predators. The pupa is oval-shaped and is again a beige colour, covered with fine downy hairs. The larvae usually pupate in sheltered areas before emerging. And at the end of its pupation period, the pupal skin splits so that the adult ladybird can climb out. The steel blue ladybird really does feed on a huge variety of food, as we'll see. The larvae can eat around 10 scale insects per day, and the adults can eat around 15. It's been recorded eating scale insects from three families, golden oak scale, waxy scale, and San Jose scale. And as well as scale insects, if you're a regular listener, you will not be surprised to learn that the steel blue ladybird goes for aphids. I'm sure you're absolutely stunned to hear that. So one of the aphids that it goes for is the giant willow aphid. They also go for mites, whitefly, thrips, plant hoppers and psyllids, which are these little jumping things that you can get on some plants. They're sometimes known as plant lice. Psyllids can create waxy coverings called lerps, which you'll not be surprised to learn are not always welcomed by gardeners, especially on ornamental plants. So if you've got any of these and you live in Australia or New Zealand, then don't worry, ladybirds are to the rescue. They've also been recorded drinking nectar, found on leaves coated with honeydew, and eating honeydew from aphids. Honeydew is a sweet secretion that aphids produce, and it's sticky, and that's another reason for gardeners to sort of dread the arrival of um, an aphid infestation. When you see a ant sort of tending a herd of aphids, that's what it's sort of milking them for. And there's an interesting theory that ladybirds actually evolved from eating fungi that grow from the honeydew, and from them they sort of progressed from eating the fungi to eating the aphid itself. And they think that might have been a factor in the evolution of ladybirds. Sometimes, these ladybirds feed on the gum secreted by damaged eucalyptus leaves. Interestingly, the steel blue ladybird has been found to have phoretic mites. On some insects, especially the larger types of insect, these mites hop on their backs or attach themselves as a method of transport. For example, they're quite common on the burying beetles to get phoretic mites that want to um, eat the uh, other insects that feed in carrion. And also you sometimes get them on bumblebees as well. So usually they don't harm the hosts or the insect that they're hitching a ride on in any way, but sometimes they can get very overloaded and find it difficult to move. And in this case, the phoretic mites who get a lift with the ladybird are a parasite of scale insects called Hemisocoptes coxophagus. And coxophagus means scale insect eater. So the juvenile stage of the mites are specially adapted to cling on to adult ladybirds until they reach their destination. At that point, they'll hop off and start hunting out scale insects to be next on the, on the menu. So, although other animals don't usually eat ladybirds, possums are known to occasionally feed on them as they've been found in their stomachs and they are also eaten by birds and spiders sometimes as well and in an upcoming episode 
we're going to talk a lot more about this because I'm going to talk about the predators and parasites that ladybirds can get quite soon. So stay tuned. The steel blue ladybird, like citrus trees, it feeds there on a pest called the citrus red mite, which is quite useful. And it also likes trees with waxy leaves. It likes acacia, eucalyptus trees and gum trees. During the winter, which in Australia and New Zealand is from May to September, they overwinter above ground in trees and shrubs and in the folds of leaves and are sometimes found, like many ladybirds are, with several at a time. They are the most common ladybird in Auckland, New Zealand, and there is a rather nice description of a park in Auckland which was found a loveliness of around 50 ladybirds in a type of plant they've got there called a cabbage tree, if you look that up. There are two generations per year, and some of the earlier adults hatch out in January, and some hatch out in March and April. So, according to the New Zealand website, Interesting Insects and Other Invertebrates, the ladybird was native to Australia, but was released in 1899 and again in 1905 to New Zealand to control black scale and gum tree scale insects. When New Zealand, which is also known as Aotearoa in the Maori language, was colonised by the British, a decision was made to import a lot of insects and birds, such as greenfinches and blackbirds, commonly found in the UK at the time, to name a few, into the country. A big part of this might have been to control pests on crops they were growing. But a big part of it, especially the introduction of birds, was so that the settlers felt more at home. This ladybird was also introduced to Hawaii to feed on scale insects and has been found in limited numbers elsewhere in the USA. There's also been some records in Chile. From all the sources I've seen, there's only a handful of native ladybirds found in New Zealand. The ones I could find information on include a few rhizobius species, including one which was discovered in the 1990s and where I viewed the webpage, didn't even have a scientific name yet, apart from Rhizobius 1. The flax ladybird, Hoangus venastus, the orange-spotted ladybird, Orcus australasiae, and Coccinella leonina, which is also called the orange-spotted ladybird, somewhat confusingly. And a number of ladybirds also found in Australia and the UK were released to New Zealand, such as the 11-spot ladybird, the 2-spot and the steel blue ladybird. According to a fact sheet on the Interesting Insects and Other Invertebrates page, if the steel blue ladybird had been discovered today and a cost-benefit analysis was carried out, then given what we know today, it is very unlikely it would have been released because it can eat the eggs of non-pest insects that are native to New Zealand, such as moths, as well as feeding on pests on crops, gardens and ornamental plants. And while the ladybird has made limited inroads into other places and doesn't really seem to be hugely invasive elsewhere, as we've discovered with the introduction of species such as the seven spot in some places and especially the harlequin, in general, introductions of non-native species don't always have entirely positive effects and need to be carefully thought through. And the circumstances of colonisation in which this happened also add an extra layer of dubiousness. But it's obviously not the ladybird's fault. 
So, I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you live in Australia, or New Zealand, or Hawaii for that matter, I hope you look out for this ladybird. It's completely unmistakable, both in terms of its shape and colour. And please let me know, or get in touch if you've seen it, want to record your sightings. And as always, if you like this show and want to support me, you can buy me a coffee at www.co-fee.com slash hwabpodcasts. And if you can't afford to, then that's completely fine. You can simply leave me a review on Facebook or on your podcast app. You can subscribe on Apple, Google, Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're in India, which is quite exciting, you can now listen on Ghana, which is uh, pretty cool. So if you're there, then check it out. You can like my Facebook page, Hidden Wings and Bloodlust. Follow me on Twitter at HWAB Podcast or on Instagram, 365.ladybird. Music at the start of the show is by Deborah Torrance. Thanks for listening and goodbye for now.